Ready to learn why cash flow and compassion are not mutually exclusive? Each week, brand strategist, speaker, and author Maria Ross will introduce you to the trailblazing brands and leaders who embrace empathetic tactics to reap huge rewards. You'll learn about winning teams, brand wins and fails, unforgettable customer experience, and bold leadership decisions fueled by compassion. You'll get the latest trends and research, discover practical ways to infuse more empathy into your work and life, and hear from innovative market leaders who've smashed outdated models and redefined success. Welcome to the Empathy Edge podcast, the show that proves empathy isn't just good for society, it's great for business. Why is it so important for you to share your story? Well, sharing our stories leads to better empathy and understanding in the workplace and outside of it. And nowhere is that more apparent right now than in our current climate of racial justice and social inequity. I'm thrilled to have a very vulnerable episode to share with you today with a conversation I had with Lauren Barton. Lauren is a writer from Kansas City, Missouri, who currently lives in San Francisco. He's the author of two books, Straight Dope, a 360-degree look into American drug culture, and All We Really Need is Love, stories of dating, relationships, heartbreak, and marriage. In addition to these books, Laurent is an essayist whose topics cover racism, mass incarceration, politics, gender, and dating. These books have appeared in Black Enterprise, Salon, The Good Men Project, Your Tango, Media Diversity, and more. Laurent is an international speaker who's given multiple talks and appeared on TEDx stages, Al Jazeera, the University of San Francisco, Speakers Who Dare, and Defy Ventures. In his spare time, Laurent enjoys mentoring African-American youth, teaching creative writing at the San Francisco County Jail, and backpacking around the world. Today, I spoke with Laurent about why many diversity and inclusion programs don't work why it's so important that you share your story. And we'll talk about his personal story and the challenges and adversity he overcame, especially dealing with a stutter that now enables him to get on stages and share his voice and message with the world. We're also going to talk a little bit about race relations and the misunderstandings between different cultures and different races. As I said, it's a very vulnerable conversation and it's very eye-opening and I hope you will take in and get inspired by what Laurent has to say. Take a listen. Hello. Thanks for joining the Empathy Edge podcast today with my fabulous guest, Laurent Barton. Laurent, how are you today? I'm doing really well. How are you doing today, Ms. Ross? Good. I am great. And we, he and I were just talking before we started recording about the fact that he's been on a TEDx stage rampage doing how many TEDx talks this month? Uh, yeah, uh, so it's funny, like I, I, I did one in September and one in October. And it, 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 <laughs> oh it, it, was, it was definitely rough. Like, <laughs> oh my God, like to everyone uh, who's, who's, who's asking, who's wondering like, how did you do that? It was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, so. Oh my gosh. Well, we're gonna, we wanna get into your story. Absolutely. I definitely wanna hear a bit about your personal and professional story and what drives you because you, you speak a lot about race and politics, technology, racial inequity. Like, tell us about how you got to doing what you're doing right now and being, you know, a motivational and informational speaker. And what is your work about? Uh, yes, ma'am. Well, my um, my work is about. So I'm primarily I'm a I'm a writer, author, and I'm a speaker. 
I'm always up to telling stories, not only that, but also helping people and giving people the platform to tell their stories. Um, I just I, I feel like that the world, one of the reasons why that we have so much mis- misunderstanding and so much um, just this, a lot of falsehoods is because not everyone's being being heard. There's a sort of a linear viewpoint. And when you have that, there's not a lot of understanding that can truly come out of that. You know, as a black man, I, I think it's very important for me to talk about our experience in America and do it in in, in a way so that there's no confusion. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I talk pretty direct and straight about racism. I, I don't I don't fluff it. I mean, there are I mean, there are a lot of writers, there are a lot of speakers that do like to like coddle people, and that's okay. Like you, you know, I I think that there's space for all of us, mm-hmm. but that's just not what I that's just not what I do right now. So, yeah. But I mean, yeah. So I, you know, I've, I've been um, I've been writing about race since 20, 2013. Um, you know, I've, I've been a writer since I was young. I mean, that's my favorite mm-hmm. thing to do. It's the best thing that I know how to do. And, um, you know, the topics that I write about, you know, it's not only race. I mean, although that is the main thing. I talk a lot about business. You know, I, I did a video yes, yesterday, Maria, that was about how the professional, it, how the professional and personal, there's no, there's, there's no line anymore. Mm-hmm. The, the personal is professional. Um, I've written about tech, you know, my, you know, my experience being a, being a black man uh, working in tech as well as, you know, politics. I mean, this is a very politically charged season, obviously. Um, you know, it's just, I mean, I, I just like to, I just like to write about life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. And, you know, some of your TED talks, I know that you've done are also around not just the vector of diversity of your ethnicity, but also the adversity you've had to overcome. Yes, so can you yes, talk ma'am. a little bit about that and share the inspiration of that story with us? Yes. Yeah, so the first TEDx uh, is called How I Overcame the Fear of Stuttering. Um, I've been stuttering, Maria, since I was about five or six years old. And because of that, that has been a hurdle that I have had to overcome. It's funny because I write a lot about my life and I, and I write a lot about, you know, I, I would like to think that the best pieces that I, that I've ever written come from my experiences. And it was one thing that I never wrote about was, was my Sutter. So my fiance was like, well, why don't you ever write about that? I said, eh, you know, that's not something that I'm really comfortable with, with talking about. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, through God's grace, I was able to um, do a TEDx, which talked about how living with a sort of how it's hindered me and just how, to be honest with you, Maria, like, you know, it wasn't so much of that I was stuttering, but I was worried about people finding out that, uh, that I stuttered. And so I held myself back. Mm. And from that TEDx, like, I mean, it's been viewed like over 160,000 times and people have been, people email me, you know, pretty maybe like once or twice a week. Hey, I saw your TEDx. It, it really helped me out. Hey, I see how I see how you did things. It was really great. Or, hey, do you have any uh, any any tips? I'm I'm doing I'm I'm doing this. You know, I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's it's cool to be inspiring. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think that uh, we all need to move in a way that we are an inspiration to people. Because one thing that I didn't realize, and something that I've sort of ran away from, is 
you know, people would, would say, you know, Laurent, you have a voice, you know, people listen to you. And, and I would say, you know, I'd be like, you know, Maria, like, oh, you know, no one really cares about what I say. But that was just me kind of running away from my responsibility. Right. And so when you have a platform, you know, such as yourself, such, such as mine, it is important for us to not only put out things that people can take away with and that they can learn, but also to disseminate proper information to, to talk about the truth, you mm-hmm. know, because if you, because if you don't, then you, you're not using, you know, your, you know, your platform correctly. I mean, you know, I, I, I love the Spider-Man quote, uh, you know, with, uh, with, with great power comes great responsibility. And it's like, if you have a platform, you know, it's your responsibility. I mean, you know, you, you know, you can't run away from it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's a common theme I talk about all the time is that we all have a platform, whether it's five people or 500,000 people, right. we all have a sphere of influence. And, you know, kind of going back to your point about telling your story, I think that's so important because it's the telling of our genuine stories and opening ourselves up to be vulnerable. And vulnerable doesn't have to be weakness. It just has Not to be I'm being who I am. But that's what enables us to be empathetic towards each other because we Absolutely. actually get to know each other and understand, oh, you know, that's the world through Laurent's eyes. That's the world through Maria's eyes. And the more that we can encourage those open dialogues, I mean, not necessarily a culture of like letting it all hang out, but the point right. is, you might think your story doesn't matter and it does. You don't even know the kind of impact it's going to have on just one person. I remember when I wrote my memoir about my brain injury, rebooting my brain, I was like, well, I'm not famous or anything. No one's going to really care about my story. And similar to you, I sort of just wrote it to try to help people. And I ended up helping thousands of people. And so no matter who you are or where you come from, you have a story to tell. And the more that we can open up to each other, the more we can find empathy for other experiences. Yeah. Yeah. No, like um, I, um, I think we need to, um, you know, we need to em- em- embrace that, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the thing is, is that we have to move in, in a way as if we're an inspiration people. And what I mean by that, Maria, is that everyone's, everyone's, I mean, like there's somebody that's watching us, right? You know, there mm-hmm. are, you know, there's someone who is looking at you and they are inspired and you have to, I mean, it's, it's up to you to put a, to put a good example out. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to steer people the wrong way. And so if you don't want to be an inspiration, if you don't want to have that responsibility, well, then don't go out into the public sphere. Don't don't put yourself out there. I mean, like, why not? You know what I mean? You're like, you know, why not put something new? I'm sorry, like put something positive and, you know, put something that is going to help people. I, I mean, you know, people need to stop being so lazy and just so individualistic. I mean. Mm-hmm. we're all here to help one another. And, you know, that's just what it is. Right. And you, you know, you have, you mentioned you write a lot and you talk a lot about technology and business and race and politics and all that good stuff. You have a consultancy on the side. Yes, so I'd just- like to just ask the, you know, ask the question when you see, you know, especially what's going on in our country and in our world right now, and you see companies and leaders making an attempt Right. And in your opinion, though, why do so many diversity, equity and inclusion 
efforts never work? Why do they fail? What do you, what do you think is like the missing, what are the missing ingredients that people don't get and that leaders are not getting? That's such a really good question. I'm so happy that you asked that. First off, whenever we talk about race, there needs to, there needs to be a specificity, right? Mm-hmm. So I can't, st- like, I, I hate the word PLC. I, I hate BIPOC. Just, so, <laughs> just I, I mean, because it's like, look, like, Maria, the reason why that I don't like them se- severely is because they're, they're, they're lazy. They're, they're catch-alls. So mm-hmm. you're, so you're just going to group a bunch of non-white people together. And that's not the way the, uh, the world, the world works. Right. I, I, I can only speak from being a black man in America, but my experience is so different than a Latino gentleman, than an Asian man, than, than, than someone from the Middle East, an indigenous person. We have different experiences. We have different challenges. We come from different parts. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, our, our upbringing is different. So there can't be a, one fell swoop. Um, yeah, thing. like one blanket category. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and it's like uh, it's like for example, like you know, a lot of tech companies. What you know, what they'll do is they will, you know, primarily tech tech companies are are white people, but they will hire people from Asia, people from people from South Asia, Indian, Pakistani, et cetera, et cetera, and and they will say, oh yeah, see, we're diverse, while they'll have like three, four percent black folks. And it's like, that's, that's not, that's not diversity. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. Secondly, companies don't invest in diversity the way that they will invest in, in other facets of the company. So like, for example, like, you know, their diversity budget could be as much, or it could be less than like the lunch budget, or it could be less than, less than like freebies around office. You know, it's, it's, it's never really taken seriously. It's just like, oh, it's just like, okay, well, you know, let's, let's put up, uh, let's, let's do a lunch for, you know, Black History Month, or, you know, <laughs> let's have tacos for, uh, for Hispanic uh, Cultural Awareness Month. Um, I mean, like, it's totally mm-hmm. ridiculous. So, uh, so it's like, it's not serious. And, and finally, it's not ongoing. Like, look, America has had a, a race problem since 1619. And mm-hmm. so, be, and so because of that, there needs to be an ongoing practice, you know, there, you know, there needs to be environments that are created that where people can show up as, as themselves authentically. Like my, uh, my colleague, uh, Neha Sampret, I believe that's her last name. You know, she's a wonderful person. She often says that diversity is diversity efforts in companies are like last year's uh, fashion uh, uh, fashion trends, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's it's totally out of season. There needs, you know, as Neha says, there there needs to be togetherness. There needs to be welcoming, be- belonging. So people need to be able to go into a, a place of employment and be fully who they are and not feel like as if they're, they're going to be ostracized if they, if they bring something up or, I mean, there's, there's so many things wrong with the way that we talk about diversity. Like it's, it's not just, so here's the thing, right? It's just like what I say, like diversity without equity is a, is, is useless. So it's not so much of me, you know, of us just having say like you have a staff of say 500 people, right. And you have, 50 black people, you know, let's just say 75, right? Just that's 
to about 12, 13%, you know, which is, you know, pretty good. Like I, there's no, there's no tech company out there that, uh, that has, <laughs> right. That has that statistic. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, uh, and that's still wild low. Mm-hmm. If you have 75 black folks, right. And 45 of them, of them leave you, that, you know, you, you know, you got a real problem because exactly. you're just, because you're just hiring them for representation. But, but if they're, but if they're leaving, then you have a problem with retention. So, so, so I mean, like Maria, like there's, there's not one thing, but there's a whole, there's just a, a, a whole gaggle of, uh, of things. And again, like I'm speaking from, from this, from a, uh, from like a, a very linear point, because I can only talk about myself as, as a black man, I don't know what, what the Asian community needs. And when we talk about the Asian community, right, there's so many different Asian ethnicities. Oh, absolutely. Chinese, Japanese, Filipino, uh, people from Taiwan, like people from Indonesia. So even with that, that's that's problematic. So if you take uh, so if you even expand that that group, that just shows you just how dumb a uh, PLC is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, to your point about DEI efforts, you know, this idea of even having a diversity budget is it funny to me happen. because it's like, we don't have a compassion budget. We don't have a collaboration Absolutely. budget. It just should be how we do business. Right. And so there shouldn't have to be a budget line item for it. It should just be, okay, where do we hire from? Where, what does our, our hiring pipeline look like? Are we hiring at, at schools with people of color or are we just hiring at the white colleges, for example, right. or, you know, like you said, this idea of belonging and inclusivity, it's, it's treated as this thing that you can pay for and you can't, you know, when there's, when there's a diversity budget, like, okay, maybe it's invested in, in training and programs and expanding the, the hiring pipeline. I don't know, but it just seems so funny to me that there has to be like a, a diversity budget in a company. It's like, a company that values honesty and integrity doesn't have an honesty and integrity budget. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, because it's like it's a because it is uh, it's assumed that that you value that. But when you have companies like Google, mm-hmm. Twitter, Facebook, Apple that have just like less than like five percent black folks, that that's a problem, right? I mean, and throw, and throwing more money at it is not the answer. It's, it's a mindset, right? Yeah. It's, Absolutely. I'm, 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 I'm sorry, my bad. Like, it's not from like, uh, that's not the solution to throw money at it. I mean, right. Like, so I would never, so let's say I left my current employer. I would mm-hmm. never work at those, at those companies because when you have that few black people, that's a, uh, that's a, that is a deliberate effort that also tells me that they're not, that not only are they not hiring us, but the black folks that they uh, that they have, and I've uh, and I've heard stories, you know, like this is this is not something that I'm just making up, but how they're very hostile. Like, um, okay, even if we look at it from a gender perspective, right? So last time I checked, tech was about eighty percent men, twenty percent women. I know from seeing it from directly in front of my eyes, tech is hard on women because women are not heard. Women get spoken over. And and it's just it's it's a bully, uh, you know, it, it, it's a bully atmosphere, Maria. I mean, do you remember Gamergate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, like you know, like even e- even the Google document that came up from I believe the fellow's name is a uh, Dinsmore when he said that women were not 
as competent in right. math and, right. Uh, right. and engineering. So those things e- exist. And it's just that just having like a seminar, one, one, one off yeah. seminar, that's, right. that's not going to, that's not going to solve any, anything. It needs to be a continuous practice that is embedded within the company's culture. Right. Exactly. And I, I'm part of a, a very unique inclusivity program called the Executive Institute on Inclusion. I'm one of their many, many faculty members and they do a very, they take a very customized approach to coming into a company where they don't just have like this cookie cutter prescription. Right. They, they go into the company and they, they have a data partner that actually uses AI and machine learning to look at your company communications, your emails, your your website, your everything, and then uncover the spots where your particular company has to do some work. It could be around how they talk to genders, how they talk to different races. It could be around ageism, you know, whatever it is, the specific issue for your company. And I think that's the hard work that's required. And that's the work that many companies aren't willing to do. They want to just have a budget and put one person for like a 500,000 person company in charge of diversity. Right. And expect, you know, be the chief diversity officer and that's going to solve the problem. Right. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's a, it's not going to solve the solve. It's not going to solve the problem. Well, and so I want to talk about, I would like to dig in a little bit more with you about your perspective as, as a man of color in tech and how have you successfully, you talked a lot about getting comfortable overcoming your own adversities to get your voice heard. So can you share with us that experience and what, how you've successfully made your voice heard in environments that might've been less receptive to it in environments where you didn't necessarily feel included or where you belonged? What lessons can you offer to others that might be listening to say, you know, this is what you overcame, especially again, being a man of color in tech. Right. So let me correct you. So, um, Again, like I, I don't call myself a man of color. I just call myself black. So, yes. okay. Um, so, yeah, like, <laughs> see, like, we're educating. <laughs> it's all good. Um, as a as a black man, like so, going into situations, I do know that we are underrepresented, mm-hmm. and that we are, and that there's just there's just so few of us, right? So, a couple of things. One thing that I've that I've that I've learned is that whenever I see a new black man, a new black woman starting within my team, I'm going to reach out to them because, mm-hmm. you know, having, having someone who is, who has a similar lived experience, but uh, as you is very, it's very important. Just letting someone know, Hey, you know what? I'm here. If you need to talk, because these companies are, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's just so hostile, you know, why I decided to just, uh, to just kind of talk about it. I mean, I, Look, Maria. So you know you know this, um, and and I'm pretty sure any anyone does that. Whenever you take a stance on something that could be considered um, controversial, uh, uh, yes, yes, ma'am, controversial, incendiary. If I'm using that word correctly, if, if if it is something that's that's going to rock the boat, you are going to alienate people, and you are going to be um, you're not going to be considered for certain things. Like, look. The stances that I take, the way that I talk about race, the way that I talk about being 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 black in in tech, it it sort of turns some people off, you know, be, 
because I refuse to uh, to dumb down nor water down our experiences. Like I don't. The the thing about me is that I'm never angry. I'm never. Um, I am never nasty. You're just you know? direct. Exactly. Like you know my you know my hero, the great Malcolm X. When I would listen to him talk, he was just very very direct. Like my job is to lay out, you know, my truth, the answers, my, uh, my experience, what you do with that information, what you do with those stories, that is, that is completely up, up to you. I'm not here to sway you from one point or point or another. That's up to you because the information is out, out there. It's up to you to take it and decide if you want to do something, if you want to do something with it. Um, I think that when I decided to stop trying to fit into a certain box, because when I when I first started writing, you know, Maria, like I was trying to um, I was trying to find my voice. So, you know, at times I I was loud as a lion. Sometimes. And and that's what I'd love to dig into is like how how you went from sort of like this dipping your toe, not wanting to rock the boat to what you do now, like what's the lesson in that? Can you, can you share that journey with us a little bit so we can learn from it? Yes, ma'am. Um, so again, like when I first started out writing, you know, I I was writing, I was trying to write for everybody, right? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I I was, you know, I was using terms like, you know, people of color, I was trying to advocate for everyone. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I just believe that, you know, the best, so Spike Lee once said something that I'll, I'll never forget. He said, write what you know, right? And so what I know is being a black man in a in America, I don't know what it's like to uh to be to be Mexican, to be a white woman, to be queer. I'm I'm a black straight male. Mm-hmm. And so when I that was the first thing that I did was I just started to just sort of sort of streamline that, uh, you know, uh, again, as I said before, when talking about race, there needs to be a level of specificity. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I just decided that, look, I can't be Malcolm X. I can't be ta Coates. I can't be James Baldwin. Those brothers, they, they have their own lane. They do what they do. I just decided that, look, if I'm going to do this, I have to go all the way with it. And it wasn't something that it was a, a the switch just turned on. Then I just immediately did that. No, it was a gradual thing because, again, when you're telling your story, right, you want to tell it for mass consumption. You want as many people to read it and to hear it as possible. But at some point, you have to come to a conclusion that either you're going to water it down so that it is commercial for everyone or you're just going to just be yourself and not compromise your, 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 right. yourself. That's the that's the key, Miss Ross. Is that when you don't compromise your uh, your yourself, then you are truly being you. So, uh, something that I learned that that uh, that I always tell people: I would rather be rejected for being who I am than accepted for being who I'm not. I love that. Yeah, that's that's great. And you know, that's so funny because there's so many parallels with that with like the brand strategy work that I do, it's the companies that are trying to be all things to all people that won't succeed. But if you try to, if you, if you try to be all things to all people, you're going to end up being nothing to no one. Absolutely. Like, look, 
So Jerry Rice, uh, I, I mean, he's the best uh, NFL football player I've, I've ever I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Jerry Rice, his primary responsibility was to catch the ball. He's not a running back. He's not a quarterback. He doesn't block. Yes, there have been times that maybe he had assisted in a, a teammate, but he does. But his responsibility is to do one thing, catch the ball. That's the thing. Not saying that you can't be a, a multi-hyphenate. Like, look, I write, I give speeches, I do consulting, you know, but I do that from the vantage point of one, one area, being Black. Another thing, uh, uh, Maria, the, the reason why that, 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 that I'm not all things to all people is, is, is because I don't want to take nobody's position. You dig? Like, like for example, and I, and I never forget this, my editor, uh, Joanna Schroeder, wonderful woman. She, she got me into us uh, into salon. She, you know, we work together, um, in your tango. She's just a wonderful person. I, we were talking and I had asked her, you know, would you ever write a piece about trans people? And, 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 and she said, no, what I'll do is I would give a trans person that platform. And that was like, sort of a, that was a head crack for me because the thing is, is like, again, we think that we can be all things, but I'm like, I, I, I don't know what it's like to be a trans person. So why don't I give you a, why don't I help the trans person get that platform? Do you see what mm-hmm. I'm saying? It's, yes. a, it's all about being heard. And it's, and it's all about um, my friend, Aaron, uh, who did a TEDx with me. She said it's all about authenticity. That's what you uh, that's what you want. Yeah, absolutely. So if you had to describe, you know, you talk about you know other other black writers having their lane. How mm-hmm. would you describe your lane? Like if you were to describe the, the tenor <laughs> yeah. of and the tone of what you talk about and your experience, what would that be? How would you describe that for people who are who might not be familiar with your writing? So again, going back to what Malcolm X said, make it plain. So I, the, the way that I write and the way that I talk, I try to talk in a, in a very normal, normal way. I don't use a lot of jargon. Like I, I write a specific experience for a specific people. Um, I think that a lot of, a lot of the writers who write about race, they're, they're like Ivy league educated. And, right. And, and so they're and so they're using all these words, cis, right. gender. So who so who do you write for? I just I I write for the everyday person. You know what I mean? Like you're like I've always felt that the best communicators in the entire world, Maria, were people that could talk to anybody and you can ascertain. Like like the best communicator I know is 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 my mother because you can never go away from her and not know where she stands. Mm-hmm. I think that. You know, it's I mean, look, I would never knock a lot of these highbrow writers because I mean, you know, some of maybe them, they're just being who they are. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah like, you know, some of them, some of them are awesome. I, I think we can all use uh, 25 cent SAT words all day. Uh, all, 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 all <laughs> well, but it depends on your audience. Right. Like right. if that's their audience that they're trying to reach, then they should speak that language. Yeah, right? but it's and so, like, uh, uh, yeah, but it's like at the same time, even if you're trying to write for, say, somewhere like The Nation, uh, mm-hmm. somewhere, uh, somewhere like I, I don't know, like uh, um, somewhere like Newsweek, you don't, you don't have to use those words. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, they look good, right? But it's 
but it's just but it's just like still though it's just like yeah like you know you really don't have to talk like that though you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so what are some of the you know you said you talk about a variety of topics so so what is your stance on you know when you talk about again when you talk about your lane what types of topics intrigue you to talk about? Like, what do you try to point out about a black man's experience in America and your writing? Well, I, you know, I try to point out that, uh, that our experience, like, gosh, oh, wow. That is such a really good question. <laughs> I'm, I'm asking <laughs> you what your brand is, Laurent. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, you know, uh, uh, let me think about that. Like, because, um, I guess what I try to do is I try to humanize the black man in a, mm. in America, and mm-hmm. I try to make it as if he is relatable. Not an, exactly, he is he is not an alien. He is he is not a criminal. He is not a over, overly sex person. He is a normal person that has many different challenges, but he is a resilient person, and that you know, he wants to help everyone. Like, yeah, like, I'm, I'm, I mean, to humanize us is something that hasn't really been, really been done. I mean, there's a incredible author, uh, Dr. Tommy Curry, uh, author of The Man Not. He was one of the first people to, uh, to truly do that within recent memory. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not trying to coddle you. I'm not trying to say, oh, well, you know, uh, this is I'm right not, or this is wrong. It's like this is my experience, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I'm a storyteller. I just want to tell you my tell you my story. You can agree with it or or not. I mean, it's um, it's like what uh, and I'm such a such a quote machine, but it's like what Neil deGrasse Tyson once said. He said, "Science is real, whether you believe it or not." Mm-hmm. It's like my life, my life is is real, whether you believe it or believe it or not. Right. You know, and so it's, you know, these things happen like when people tell when, you know, when people tell stories and, and it doesn't matter where, you know, where you fall on, on the racial lines, gender, uh, sexual or- orientation, that when people tell you a story, believe them like. Right. Y- like, you know, Maria, like um, there have been times that, you know, I have not believed people's experiences and. I look back on that and, you know, I shake my head because why would they be making this up? You Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, just what you said is just such a sad statement (laughs) that the fact that you even need to humanize a black man's experience, like the fact that that even needs to be done is just, I mean, you're so upbeat and so hopeful. Like, how do you, how do you keep at it? when that just seems like an unfair thing you should even have to do. Do you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. No, like, you know, it's, 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 it's a sad thing that I have to, you know, humanize, uh, humanize us, you know, just so mm-hmm. it's not out of sympathy, like, like right. you know, because, you know, it doesn't really matter, but it's, but it's just, there's such a, a negative view. Like we are caricatures. And so, like my job, my responsibility, what I write about is to make the black man be a fully formed being, mm-hmm. you know, that's my responsibility. That's what I, uh, that's what, that's what I aim to do either from writing, speaking, or just living my life. Like we are, we are not one, we are not one dimensional. We are a fully formed being. 
Well, and it's very similar to the fact that you've got you, your work is so important that that perspective is so important to counteract all the negative perspectives. And I think about just as a woman, you know, when I see the reality, some of the reality TV out there, like real housewives or whatever, which I've never watched. And I'm just like disgusted by, but I know people like to watch it as a guilty pleasure. Right. But just the damage it does to say that this is how women treat each other. And no women I know treat each other like that. And so like all the work that I do and colleagues of mine do about, about, you know, effective women leaders and showcasing inspiring women leaders. It's like, we have to do that to counteract these negative images and stereotypes in the media. And I imagine, you know, your work is very similar to that. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. Yes. I, I mean, I mean, it's, it's important to, uh, because again, like um, one of the things like that I talk about in one of my TEDx's, uh, Maria, is challenging the narrative. You mm-hmm. know, I say in the one that I recently did, we uh, we we have to shout over the current wave of lies that attempts to silence us. We oh. have to do that. So there so has like there has to be a constant effort for us to just hit back because the narrative. I mean the narrative has had a head start for so long. Mm-hmm. I mean, just, there's just so many things culturally that have just been just, you know, in our, in our lives that we, that we don't even think about. Like, right. Right. And you, and you think, you think some of those have gone away, but they haven't. I mean, just in seeing the recent like Supreme court discussions, the Supreme court nominee discussions right? where, where men are blatantly saying that, that this woman has done her womanly duty by Woman- having seven children, like by raising seven children. I'm like, oh my God, like I thought this was 2020. Like, <laughs> right. I mean, it's like, why does like, you know, like, so motherhood and, and, and womanly duties, that's, mm-hmm. you know, like, I, I but guess people still go, believe that. Like you said, the narrative is still there for, right. for yeah, anything, right. not just for women, but for, for black men, for, for, other minorities for, you know, the, we, we sometimes, I think we forget we've come far, but we haven't necessarily come that far. Right. Right. No, like, um, I, uh, I totally agree. Like I, 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 I think that people, you know, I, I, I think that there's a lot of folks that, you know, thought that, you know, when we had Barack Obama as a, as a, as a president, that we were going to just, that, we had just exceeded just so many, you know, I mean, like that mm-hmm. America have a, like, and I hated this term so much, like it was post-racial and I'm like, no, like <laughs> this is, this is one man who is, yeah. and, and to all, and I really want you to listen to what I'm going to say and please take this in. And this man, he had a white mother. He's not from the United States. He was raised in Hawaii, so he doesn't have the traditional black experience. He went to Harvard. That's not the traditional black black experience. So you had an outlier, pretty much. It's similar to um, similar to Kamala Harris. They're outliers. So yeah, I, I mean, I guess from a um, from a superficial aspect, that's a victory. But I mean, it 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 hasn't really changed anything. I'm I mean, I mean, get me get get back to me when we have a succession of, of black presidents or, or a mm-hmm. succession of Latino presidents, 
battle, you know what I mean? Like a succession of women right. and presidents. Then when it's, like, when it's nor- yeah, when it's normalized and it's not when an it's outlying thing. Yeah. Yeah. See, like, you know, that's the thing. Uh, but uh, but see, Maria, that's the thing about racism is, is, is like it tends to highlight the aberration. You, mm-hmm. you know, you know, Barack Obama is is an aberration. So so, of course, like, um, con, you know, like the Republican Party or like most mainstream politicians will say, well, well, come on now. There's there's no sexism. Uh, Amy Comer um, uh, Barrett's going to be uh, a possible. <laughs> The, the only thing scarier than men telling women what to do is other women telling women what to do. <laughs> right. I, mean, I mean, it's like, you're like, you know, she's, she's going to be the, she's going to be the third, right? I mean, it, 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 the four, it, no, it's the fourth, I think. Oh, uh, fourth okay. or fifth. Yeah. Like, okay. Well, uh, well, I mean, still you're like, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I mean, you know, she could still be looked at as be looked at as a trailblazer. I mean, because right, like, right, like, and you're saying not it's not always equal. Yeah, when no, when you have that no. representation, yeah. No, like, uh, no, look, like, and representation matters, right? I mean, I, mm-hmm. I would never say that that it doesn't, but again, you uh, like, you know, diversity without equity is nothing. So if you're not just because you have a spot on on the team, that doesn't mean you're a player. Ooh, that's so true. So true. And it doesn't mean you're changing the system. Absolutely not. No, like, mm-hmm. you, oh, 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 my gosh. Oh, wow. No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> well, um, we're, we're going there, Laurent, in this episode. I like it. Um, yes, so we are. just to kind of wrap up, this has been so, for me, I've been pretty vulnerable with you. I feel like you've been pretty vulnerable with me. Absolutely. Let's, let's wrap up this talk with your best advice to someone who is different to make a difference and to make their voice heard, whether it's about race or politics or just changing their company's culture or, you know, what, what's your best advice? Well, I would say to them, your, your story matters. Listen, mm-hmm. all of us have a story to tell all of our stories. I'm like, and, 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 and let me emphasize that all of our story matters mm-hmm. because my friend Veronica once once said, and, and, you know, she was helping me with one of my talks. She said, you know, Laron, if you don't tell your story, you don't exist. And that was so, I was like, wow, look, look, your story matters because not only are you being told, but you're laying the foundation for other people coming behind you. Uh, uh, Again, Maria, going, going back to what we said about us having a voice and, and responsibility, like you, you, you can't, do this just for you. And mm-hmm. I don't know if people understand what I'm, uh, what I'm saying, but it's like your accomplishments are just not only about you, your accomplishments are for the people coming behind you. And, you know, to everybody that doesn't think that they don't have a voice, you, you do. There's so many different ways to tell your story. There's writing, there's speaking, there's making movies, Crew, uh, writing, like writing music, music. yeah there's, giving, there's art there's mm-hmm. there's art there's you know like there's giving talks there's so many different ways there's podcasts you youtube virtual reality, augmented reality to name a few the point is is that you need to get up there and you need to not be you need to not be afraid listen don't worry about if people don't like uh don't like what don't like what you have to say there's an audience out there for anybody and everybody right i mean Look, there's over 750,000 podcasts out there, right? So 
I, I guarantee you that there's someone tuning in to at least one or one or two. So don't get discouraged. Continue to say what you want to say. Look, there's going to be places that you're not going to be able to go. That's okay. Hey, you know, listen, like there are platforms and publications that I will probably never be on. That's fine because I'm being true to myself. Like right. I, I'm, I'm not going to compromise myself. That doesn't mean that you can't evolve and that you can't grow. Mm-hmm. Look, I, you know, I've grown so much. Like you know, so many things that I said and done that I thought were right were not were not correct. But you know, uh, my good friend David Chastain said, "Life is all about being wrong." So I would say. It is imperative for all of us to tell us it is our responsibility because I, you, you know, this, this one, just really just narrow viewpoint of life. We have, we have got to change that. We do. And, you know, the thing is people that are trying to do harm to other people are raising their voices and they're Absolutely. finding their outlets. And so we need to if we are if we if we want to speak out about empathy or diversity or equity or humanity we need to be brave enough to speak out as well because guaranteed the the folks on the quote unquote other side are doing the same thing and <laughs> we need to we need to counteract that i love what you said about shouting over the current wave of lies that was such a great quote <laughs> <laughs> well, um, um, uh, well, uh, well, you know, Maria, that's actually from that's, that's actually from my third TEDx. But mm-hmm. I love it. But it's true, though. Like, you know, we have to, you know, we have to be brave. Like, it's look, it look, it's okay to be scared. Listen, like, whenever I publish something, um, I'm not always like super confident. Like, oh you know, no, no, it's like the hardest thing to put yourself out there and write books and speak not, and you're being vulnerable. You know, like uh, you're being vulnerable and. You know, there are people that will challenge you. Like, mm-hmm. look, as a writer, there's two things that we have to get used to rejection and criticism. Because you, because again, Maria, as, uh, as you said, we're being vulnerable. We're, uh, we're putting ourselves out there. I'll tell one story. Um, I'm sorry, I'll tell one more story. So the late Charlie Murphy was, um, he was talking about the first time he did, he did stand up. And he was like, he was booed. So he called Eddie Murphy, his brother. He was like, man, I can't believe they booed me. And, and Eddie Murphy was like, so let me get this right. You did stand up. You got booed. Why are you calling me? Bye. Click. <laughs> hung up on him. It's like, it's like, look, look, that look, that's going to happen. Like I've had people trash stuff that I've, that I've written. I've, I've had people call me racial slurs. I've, I've had people say that I suck. You know, it, it's it's what it is. It's it, it's just that is the cost. Of, that is the cost to get into the door. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I love that. I will leave that right there, Laron. How can people find you and connect with you and read more of your work? Yes, my name is Laron Barton. I'm at www.laronbarton.com. That's L-E-R-O-N-B-A-R-T-O-N. I'm also on Twitter at Mainline Laron. I'm on Instagram, Laron at Laron L. Barton. I'm on LinkedIn, Laron L. Barton. And I'm on Facebook. I have a Facebook writing pages. You guessed it, Laron L. Barton. I'm always looking for, <laughs> yeah, you know, got to keep it consistent. Um, I love it. I'm always love it. looking for, uh, you know, conversation, uh, 
you know, if you don't like what I had to say, if you want to challenge it, please, uh, please email me. Just let's just keep the nasty grams to a, to a minimum of right. zero. Yeah, and, you can uh, you can disagree with empathy. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you can disagree with with empathy. And if I would just leave y'all with anything, it's just that, um, you know, listen, like, you know, be, you know, be an active listener. You know, when many times, Maria, when people are talking and when they're listening, they're not really listening because they already have a response loaded up. They just want to just they they just want to just just like get off what they have to say. But it's like when you when you actually listen listen to people, that's when the true learning starts. Absolutely, I love it. Well, Laurent, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your story and your insights and inspiration with us. Thank you. This has been a wonderful uh, in, in interview. I cannot wait to steer people to your podcast, and I can't not wait to hear this. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Empathy Edge. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to share the show with others who want to redefine success and change the game. For more on how empathy makes you and your brand more successful, visit TheEmpathyEdge.com. There, you can download a free guide outlining five business benefits of empathy and a free sample chapter of Maria's book, The Empathy Edge. Until next time, Remember that a more empathetic world starts with you and leads to tremendous success.